What up family, happy December. In case you haven't heard, we now have official Genius Life merch. Turn heads while showcasing your love for this podcast with t-shirts, socks, and even a fanny pack. My excitement whenever y'all tag me wearing the new merch is unparalleled. And I just got a sneak peek at the hand-dyed tie-dye sweater up for pre-order now, and it is dope. If you ordered this week, that's right, this week, you should have your merch in time for holiday gift giving. You can check out all the Genius Life merch at thegeniuslife.com. The thought of y'all repping the Genius Life outside of your headphones, well, that's the only holiday a gift I need. And now welcome to episode 140 of The Genius Life. back. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods and The Genius Life. Team, I'm so pumped for you to listen to today's episode. This episode is the epitome of what The Genius Life stands for, a dynamic conversation between two different lifestyles. Today, I welcome the one and only Rich Roll. Rich is a vegan, ultra-endurance athlete, and full-time wellness and plant-based nutrition advocate, popular public speaker, husband, father of four, and inspiration to people worldwide as a transformative example of courageous and healthy living. Rich continues this journey today with his chart-topping podcast and best-selling books, Finding Ultra, The Plant Power Way, The Plant Power Way Italia, and his latest offering, Voicing Change. Y'all, his newest book, Voicing Change, is epic. I feel like there's a misconception that me Meat eaters and vegans don't get along or that we have complete opposite beliefs, well, Rich and I are here to tell you that that is totally false. You can always learn from someone who does things differently than yourself. Rich is a vegan and ultra-endurance athlete, and I'm a meat eater who gently picked up running during quarantine. Save the drama for your llama. In this episode, Rich shares his health journey, including what led to his decision to be plant-based. We chat through how his approach has changed over time and what modifications he makes to support his training. We discuss intermittent fasting and why Rich believes it's been a powerful tool to support his well-being but also how it might be to the detriment of more advanced fitness goals. And finally, though Rich and I differ in our own nutritional approaches, we are definitely aligned in terms of how we both believe nutrition discourse, especially online, should respect science and personal ethics, and we dive into that a bit as well. Rich is open-minded, and I find his tenacity to be tremendously inspirational. Plus, many of Rich's most publicly celebrated achievements occurred later on in life, after he hit the age of 40. So for any late bloomers out there, this episode is definitely going to be one that you are going to want to pay close attention to. One of my favorite parts of the holiday season is sharing big, yummy meals with family and friends. However, although delicious and enjoyable, these meals always leave me confused as to what to do during snack time. A solid snack is a staple in the Lugavere household. You don't want to have too big of a snack, and you definitely don't want the snack to lack nutrients. Dare I say we must, at all costs, avoid a snacksident. That's where Paleo Valley, our snacksident remedy, steps in. Paleo Valley's 100% grass-fed beef sticks are the only beef sticks in the USA made from 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef, and organic spices that are naturally fermented. Flavors range from jalapeno to summer sausage to the OG original. These meat sticks are the perfect snack to keep you full and taste delicious. And guess what? From now until December 4th, Paleo Valley is offering 20% off of your purchase with code MAX20. After December 4th, it's back to that 15% off. So what are you waiting for? Head over to paleovalley.com and don't forget to use code MAX20. This next friend and sponsor of the podcast needs no creative introduction. All it takes is four words. Are you ready? Buckle up. 
free bacon for life. Yep, that's what ButcherBox is currently offering. Unreal. When it comes to food subscription boxes, you have a ton of options. It's overwhelming. But that's where I step in with the bacon and the help of the ButcherBox team. See, ButcherBox is one of the easiest ways to get high-quality, humanely raised meat that you can trust. They deliver 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage-breed pork, and wild-caught seafood directly to your door. Great-tasting meat that you can feel good about. My favorite way to use bacon is not just for breakfast, but rather I perfectly pair the bacon with some Brussels sprouts in a skillet and yum let's get crispy y'all so team don't go bacon my heart that's a bacon pun for you head over to butcherbox.com genius to get you free bacon for life right now new members can get bacon for life when they sign up at butcherbox.com genius that's a package of free bacon in every box for the life of your subscri- subscription when you go to butcherbox.com genius act quickly for this sizzling hot offer All right, guys, before we race into my conversation with Rich, I absolutely must share this heartfelt iTunes review from one of our Genius Life family members. Run for Podcasts states, I look forward to every new episode, put my headphones on, and run with Max. I learn something new every podcast. Thanks, Max. Thanks so much for your review, Run for Podcasts. Today's run is accompanied by the ultimate runner, Rich Roll. It's going to be a fun one. Guys, do you ever listen to an episode of my show and love it so much that you want to share all that you learned with friends and family? First up, thank you. Second up, you can always head to maxlugavere.com slash podcast to learn and therefore share more. We have a ton of great resources that allow you to learn more, but it's also a great spot to direct friends if they want to expand their knowledge. Keep the Genius Life community growing both in size and wisdom. If you don't find the answer you're looking for, text me. You can join the text community by texting the word genius to 310-299-9401. I've had so much fun with this text community, so shoot me a text and we can chat. I try to get to a few questions each day. So send all your thoughts, feelings, concerns my way. Let's connect. And with all that said, let's now roll into episode 140 with the inspiring Rich Roll. Rich Roll. What's happening? What's going on? Happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Dude, thanks for coming out in these perilous times. It is. It's it's scary out there. It is. I don't know what's scarier, COVID or the fact that it was like 116 in the valley the other day. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so hot. Um, it's been hot over here. It's been like really kind of murderous and, and like oppressive. Weirdly humid. Weirdly humid. I always remind myself though, it's like the heat shock proteins, right? It's like the heat stress. It's, uh, you know, I'm fostering anti-fragility. Mm. You know, every time I feel like complaining about the weather. Yeah. Um, I like it. I like the heat. It doesn't bother me that much. I mean, it can be oppressive, but I'd rather have it like this than cold and dreary and rainy. Same. Same. Well, dude, I'm excited to talk to you. We've been friends for a while. We've bumped into each other at a bunch of different, like, health, you know, venues and events and things like that. But this is a cool opportunity to get to, to, get to know you on a deeper level. Um and uh, I'm sure many of my listeners are familiar with your work. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess for those who aren't, I know that you've got this like amazing sort of backstory and you've, you've gone through multiple transitions in your life. Um, you started as, yeah, a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, how did you, I mean, if you can just like walk me through the journey, like in a way, you know, like w- what has led to the ritual that today we know of as being this like super aspirational, inspirational, ultra megathon athlete, podcaster um well first of all thanks for that (laughs) the laudatory intro i don't know that i can live up to that but yeah i mean i've i've gone through a couple different incarnations i mean i grew up in a middle class household in washington dc parents that love each other that are still together education was a priority i was always kind of a misfit kid i was insecure introverted had difficulty making friends was very much to myself 
uh, showed zero athletic prowess as a youth. I was the kid who was, you know, picked last for kickball and all that kind of stuff. You, wow. Ridiculed, you know, bullied and the like. Um, and the one thing that I discovered that I would actually showed some innate talent at was swimming. And I really gave myself to that uh, sport as a young person. And as I matured through that sport, it helped me academically. So by the time I graduated from high school, I was one of the top swimmers in the region, in the Washington metro area, got recruited to all these colleges, you know, finished top of my class, got into all the fancy places, ended up going to Stanford, um, which was the number one swimming program in the country at the time. But I went as a bench warmer. I was not a scholarship athlete. I had a choice of going somewhere else and being one of the top guys, but I thought... I can go here and train with Olympic gold medalists and world record holders. Like I'll never know if I reach my potential if I don't take advantage of this opportunity. Plus, I just love. I grew growing up on the East Coast. I visited Stanford and I just thought I can't even believe this is a college. Like and that I get to, you know, I got into this place. It's crazy. So that's where I went. Um, and my freshman year, I distinguished myself on the swim team, and things were looking pretty rosy. But I also discovered alcohol around Mm -hmm. that time. And from the outset, I'm just one of those people who had a very unhealthy relationship with that drug from the beginning. And it's something that, you know, as any alcoholic will tell you, starts out fun and actually fills a need. Like it turned me into a social creature. It brought me out of my skin. I could go to parties and talk to girls and stay up late and do all these things that I never did when I was in high school because I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning to go to swim practice, going to two hours more of swim practice after school, doing my studies and crashing. Like I was a very good, studious, highly motivated, highly driven young person. Uh, And that all went out the window when I discovered partying. And it was a slow decline, but, but my life began to erode first slightly and then precipitously. Uh, somehow I, you know, I, I got through Stanford. I didn't swim my senior year. I never swam fast again after my freshman year. It just wasn't important to me. I was just looking for where the next good time would be. Lived in New York City for a couple of years, which was really kind of graduate school for an alcoholic. Oh That's God. where I really learned how to drink and party <laughs> and had a lot of fun there and got into some trouble. Um, went to law school after that, I think at the time, mostly to uh, find some like stable ground for myself because I knew I was starting to spin out of control. But my alcoholism goes where I go and that continued to progress. I still don't know how I graduated from law school, but somehow I did. Uh, got a job at a law firm in San Francisco, started drinking more there, ended up down in Los Angeles with another job, had a marriage that got derailed during the honeymoon. That's a whole other crazy, that could be a whole podcast, that story. (laughs) You know, like life was going sideways quickly. Then I got two DUIs in a row, blowing insane numbers like 0.29, 0.27. I rear-ended an old lady. The other time I was driving the wrong way down a one-way street in Beverly Hills, went to jail, almost got fired from my job because my boss knew the arresting officer. It was like a, you know, a lot of stuff happened a compressed period of time that made me realize like, my life was headed in a very um, tragic direction if I didn't course correct. Mm. Started struggling with trying to get sober, going to AA meetings in LA and you know trying to figure it out, kept relapsing and ultimately just hit this really dark place where 
my family didn't want anything to do with me anymore. I lost all of my friendships. I was going to get fired. I couldn't pay my bills. I was sleeping on a bare mattress on the floor of an, like basically an unfurnished apartment right around the corner from here. Whoa. And, and had nowhere to turn. And that's when I kind of had that um, moment of clarity that you hear and realize like I, I have to do something drastic. So I went to a treatment center in rural Oregon where I ended up living for a hundred days. I got sober there and that began a brand new chapter of me. When I got back to LA after that, it was all about creating a foundation of sobriety. That was my number one priority. I went back to the law firm, but quickly realized as I started to become a more integrated individual that I'd chosen a career path that was completely um, at odds with this person that I was becoming. But it took many years for me to figure out what the right path would be. Um, and ultimately, I continued to pursue law in various different forms for many years until I was in my late 30s and I put on 50 pounds. I was a junk food addict. I was just basically like I wasn't I was never like a morbidly obese guy. I was just like a, I look like a guy who's spending too much time in a law firm. Right. Oh, like working too much and eating too much shitty food and not taking care of himself. And it all came to a head shortly before I turned 40 when I had a health scare one evening, just going up uh, the flight of stairs to my bedroom and had to pause at tight tightness in my chest and, you know, winded, you know, felled by a simple flight of stairs because, you know, I'd I'd always, despite how I appeared, like when I would look in the mirror, I still thought I was a Stanford swimmer. You know, it's like denial is very powerful. And that was like a second moment of clarity for me where I was like, I'm just not living properly. And because I'd had that experience where I made the decision to go to rehab, I had a hyper vigilance or a hyper awareness around how special these these kind of epiphanies can be and how they can change your life in such a dramatic way if you just grab onto them. And I felt like I was being visited by one of those moments again, and I was not going to let it pass because I know how easy it is to go, well, you know, yeah, but, you know, maybe I should go to the gym and just kind of go back to some status quo. But I didn't do that. I was like, I'm changing and I'm changing now. And I need to do something drastic right away to kind of trigger that and create some momentum. So I thought, well, I went to rehab for drugs and alcohol. Like, how can I recreate some version of that experience for me around food and lifestyle? Hmm. So the first thing that I did was like a week long um, fruit and vegetable juice cleanse not because I wanted to rid my body of toxins, but I wanted to do something that was difficult, that mm. was hard, that would that would you know put me through the rigors of what it's like to wean yourself off drugs and alcohol, because that's a very painful experience and something that I was intim- intimately familiar with. So I recreated that experience with food so that it would trigger that same kind of mental connection to a recovery path that I had with drugs and alcohol. And that worked, that was very difficult, but at the end of that seven-day period, I felt amazing. Like, I don't know if you've ever done any kind of prolonged fasting or, or, you know, detox protocol or anything like that. But, you know, I'd never gone a single day in my life without eating food. <laughs> and then, you know, the first couple of days are horrible. I felt like I was, you know, like, you know, I felt like I was a heroin addict, you know, <laughs> shaking and sweating. But by the seventh day, I had this resurgence of vitality and energy. And I thought, how can I feel so – I felt better than I'd felt in as long as I could remember. Wow. And I, and I remember thinking, like, how can I figure out a way of living and eating where I can feel like this all the time? And that kind of prompted this exploration of 
diet and lifestyle that ultimately culminated in me adopting a plant-based diet. And then with all of this energy that I had, I got interested in becoming fit again. And that led me into the world of endurance and later ultra endurance and all these crazy challenges that I've done. And everything has flowed really from there, not because I whiteboarded it and made some master plan. It was really just organically uh, an, an organic outgrowth or manifestation of continuing to try to live more authentic to who I am. Wow. So you had that health crisis when you were about to turn 40. Mm -hmm. And so when, so you weren't just an athlete in, in, in high school and college, you became an ultra, the ultra athlete that we know rich role to be in your like late thirties, in in your forties, my mid forties, in your mid forties. Wow. That's like insane. So impressive. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I had, I knew how to push my body. Like, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with what it's like to train as a swimmer at a certain level, but like you're putting in like 20,000 meters a day. Like I, I'm a workhorse and I had a certain amount of talent as a swimmer, but there were plenty of swimmers who were much more talented than me. But I learned quickly and early as a young person that I could bridge that talent deficit gap by outworking the person next (laughs) to me. And so I developed this capacity for load, like endurance load. And I knew how to do that as a swimmer. So when I got interested in endurance sports, I didn't take the time to educate myself about what it would mean to excel as a triathlete, but I had this engine, you know, and it was a matter of tapping back into not just those practices, but I think that the, that endurance machine remains latent throughout your life. Like if you've done it in the past, you're able to connect with that again, much more easily than somebody who's doing it for the first time. Wow. And during that time, had you given up on your law career or were you still practicing law? I was still practicing law, but I'd left the big law firms and I'd gone through a different, a couple different um, versions of, I, I was a solo practitioner and I had partner, I had two partners for a while and then I had one partner, but I was losing interest in it as I was going. And I started training for these crazy races, which would require me to be out on my bike for like five hours in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. And as a solo practitioner lawyer, and this is, you know, this wasn't a work from home era. This is a time where I was an entertainment lawyer. Like you got to be at these lunches in Beverly Hills. And I just remember I'm not doing any of that anymore, <laughs> but I'd get these phone calls when I was out training and I'd have to pull over and do like a conference call with people sitting in offices in Century City thinking, if they could, if they actually knew what I was doing right now, but I would always get the work done. But because I was essentially self-employed, I would do it at odd hours and and work around this training schedule so that I could basically pursue this goal that I had. That's so interesting. Prior to the the health crisis, you you were eating all kinds of things. You were eating. You mentioned like a lot of junk food. Yeah, mostly Jack in the Box. Mostly Jack in the Box. Yeah, wow. a lot of a lot of Jack in the Box. Wow. It was bad. Yeah. Fast food. No bueno. And then, so you made the switch to, as you mentioned, a plant-based diet. What, I mean, what kind of like research and stuff like went into your, into your decision and what did your diet look like, you know, after having made that, after you made that switch? I wish I could tell you that I went down some big scientific rabbit hole and started, you know, reading a bunch of PubMed. It wasn't like that. It was really experiential. Um, after that cleanse was over, I played around with a vegetarian diet and then I ate like a very high protein diet for a while. I played around and, and every time it, it, I I could never really recapture how I felt on that seventh day of that cleanse. And I did that for about six months and I, I didn't do it scientifically or even all that diligently, to be honest with you. Um, and after six months, I was kind of ready to give up. I just thought like, eh. 
you know, maybe I can't feel that way and I'm 40 and maybe I'm just supposed to kind of not feel as good as I used to. And I was ready to give up. But the one thing that I hadn't tried was going 100% plant-based because it just sounded too ridiculous and extreme. And I couldn't imagine that it would be giving me all the nutrients that I needed. But I noticed on Facebook back, and this is a time when like Facebook was a thing, <laughs> like right. people actually were on Facebook. Um, I had a buddy that I used to swim against called Rip Esselstyn. Rip and I, Rip was two years older than me, but we kind of came up at the same time. Like I didn't really know him, but we would be at the same meets and he was an all American backstroker. He went to Texas, which was our number one rival. So I knew of him and we were Facebook friends and he started posting on Facebook about this plant-based diet and how he had this book coming out called Engine Tube Diet. It hadn't come out yet. And he was sharing the work of his father, Caldwell Esselstyn, who had experienced you know, some pretty significant uh, reversals of arterial, of, our, of, of arterial damage with heart patients. And that just struck me as compelling. And I thought, you know, and, and Rip was like super fit. And I was like, plant-based, really? So I was like, well, maybe I'll try that, you know, because that's the one box that I hadn't checked. And I think part of me also was thinking, I kind of wanted to go back to just eating junk food and just say, well, I tried all this stuff. It doesn't work. And like, whatever. Hmm. You know, I'm just going to, you know, live the rest of my life the way I was living it before. But I thought, like, I'll give this a go. And and within, you know, four or five days of, of doing this experiment, I started to feel like I felt on that seventh day of wow. that. Like I really felt a, a resurgence of vitality, and and I thought, well, I'm gonna, I'm this is this is agreeing with me for some reason in a way that I didn't expect, and I just never looked back. Like I've been doing that ever since. It's been coming up on 14 years at this point. That's amazing. Has it evolved over time, or has it been, have you been pretty sort of like? consistent like what do you know now about nutrition about you know your uh your biology you know i guess you could say that you wish you had known back when you first started mm -hmm. out <clears throat> that's a great question i think it hasn't evolved dramatically i would say that it it kind of ebbs and flows depending upon how focused i am on training like when i have a fitness goal or i'm training for a race then everything gets super dialed in and I'm paying, <clears throat> excuse me, extreme attention to everything that I'm putting in my body. Um, when I'm not training for a race, it's, it's easier to just be, you know, like, oh, I, I ate too much pasta or whatever. Like I've been eating plant-based for so long right now that I don't think about it that much. It's so rote and second nature to me and everything in our house and our kitchen is plant-based. So I don't spend a lot of time, um, like overanalyzing it, I guess. And I keep it really simple. Like I eat pauper food. I eat tons of beans. I eat tons of greens. You know, when I am training, I'm upping my, you know, micronutrients. I'm upping my calories, obviously. And I'm paying more attention to making sure that I'm not going to be deficient in anything, things like that. The one thing that I think I have learned that might have benefited me earlier is um, some of the intermittent fasting stuff mm. that I'm now experimenting with and, and enjoying. Um, but, you know, all of the science is always developing. Like when I started this, I knew Rip, you know, was this plant-based athlete and that was it. And now there's so many more resources. There's so many more athletes who are experimenting with these kinds of things in, in different ways. At the same time, there's also this explosion in meat and dairy analogs. There's so many more delicious processed 
dairy and animal product free um, products that you can get at the store. And the challenge then becomes to understand that this is about whole foods. It's not about just being vegan. You can have a terrible diet, <laughs> you know, eating just vegan now more so than ever. And just like when I would look in the mirror and see that Stanford swimmer when I was 50 pounds overweight, I'll find myself going, oh, well, you know, like that, that coconut ice cream or that whatever it is, you know, like, oh, it's plant-based. So how bad can it be? But it's, it's really no better than, you know, any of the other junk foods that are out there. So that's the thing that is now like there's more temptations to stray and still call yourself plant-based than there used to be. Yeah. I, I mean, I love to have conversations with, with people who are plant-based. I mean, my listeners know I'm not plant-based, but I love nothing more than to be able to reach across the aisle and learn from people who've been, who've been steeped in their lifestyle, you know, in a conscious way so that I can learn from them. Quick break, y'all. When it comes to crackers and dips, some people are dippers and some people are dunkers. I'm a hummus dunker. However, when it comes to Simple Mills fine ground sea salt almond flour crackers, I'm just a muncher. That's right. No need for a dip when you have a cracker that is as tasty as a Simple Mills cracker. I munch on these crackers whenever I need something a little crunchy in my life. Simple Mills is ready to crunch up your snack life. There's no doubt about that. The Simple Mills almond flour crackers really hold their own, and that's why they don't need a dip. I'm not anti-dip. I'm just pro-Simple Mills. All of the Simple Mills products have a short, fully recognizable ingredient list composed of whole foods with nothing artificial ever. When you crave that crunch, you must make sure they're substantial and nutrient-based. We're not about that fluff life. You might recognize the Simple Mills name from trips to your grocery store, but I highly recommend heading over to their website, simplemills.com. Their website is beyond user-friendly and allows you to quickly purchase all your crunchy snack needs. Our friends at Simple Mills gave us an exclusive discount code for 20% off of your purchase. So go check them out at simplemills.com and use code G. Genius 20. Genius 20 for 20% off of your purchase at simplemills.com. You know what I recently found out? That soup can be controversial. Some like it, some love it, some hate it. Who knew? You know one thing that's not up for debate? Kettle and fire. The taste alone is enough to convert a non-soup lover to a soup lover. But the real kicker are the nutrients that Kettle and Fire load up in each and every soup that they make. Their soups contain all the essential nutrients that your body needs to thrive, like collagen, protein, and amino acids. Their bone broths are paleo-friendly, keto-friendly, Whole30 approved, and certified gluten-free. A soup of the people. That's what Kettle and Fire is all about. Kettle and Fire is committed to providing you with real and whole food ingredients. Their cattle bones are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. Their chicken bones are organic and pasture-raised. It's my favorite all-in-one nutrient-dense lunch. Rich in collagen, protein, electrolytes, and other supporting nutrients that you won't find anywhere else. Head over to kettleandfire.com slash max or use coupon code max for 25% off. That's right, 25% off my go-to soup. Again, head over to kettleandfire.com slash max. It is like a security blanket on a cold winter night. Or as we like to say in LA, anytime the temperature dips below 60. And now back to my chat with the one and only Rich Roll. Are there any things that like you know as as somebody who embraces the plant-based diet that um that you think like you know the omnivore world like ought to know about i'll give you an example if that question doesn't seem doesn't appear to make a lot of sense i discovered nutritional yeast a couple of years ago mm -hmm. and it's like one of my favorite things on the planet it's great put it on salads you can put it on tons of stuff yeah, it's amazing. It's like one of my favorite condiments. But I'm just wondering if there's like anything else like that, that like the the, the vegans and plant-based eaters have been sort of keeping to themselves that like more people need to know about. Mm. It's so hard because I'm so steeped in it that I don't know <laughs> what you don't know. I would say that um, 
omnivores tend to think of adopting a plant-based diet as something that's very difficult, that's going to be very time-consuming, and that unless you are supplementing with all kinds of supplements, you're going to be deficient and you're going to have to pay attention to all these things and perhaps do a lot more blood panels than a normal person. And all I can tell you is that hasn't been my experience. Mm. I've gone through phases where I'm doing all kinds of supplements and I've weaned myself off of those and gotten blood work done and been fine. So, you know, again, it's pauper food. I keep it really simple. I eat tons of gigantic salads. I eat tons of rice and beans and vegan burritos. I've traveled all over the world. That's the other thing. Like, how do you travel? What do you eat on a plane? Well, I don't eat anything on a plane. Like, it's <laughs> only a couple hours, you know, like you're going to yeah. be fine. And everywhere I go, I'm always able to make it work. So it doesn't rent a lot of space in my head in terms of prep and all that kind of thing that I think people think that it does. So I take B12. I've been supplementing uh, a little bit more extra with D lately because of COVID. I take zinc. I take, but you know, that's basically it. You know, the the, the nutritional yeast is B vitamins in it too. It also serves as a B12. That stuff um, is supplement. so good. Yeah. And it has a very kind of like the texture of it. For people that are craving dairy, it helps like take the edge off of that. And and also this idea like, oh, I can't live without food X. You know, your cravings are malleable. Your cravings are dictated by what you're putting into your body. And, you know, as somebody who's got a lot of experience with drug and alcohol addiction, you think there's no way I could go one day without drug X. And you realize through a detoxification process that your cravings subside when you deprive your body of a certain thing. Like for me, the hardest thing was kicking dairy. Like I just couldn't imagine. And dairy's in so many things. It's very difficult to figure out how to rid your system of dairy. And the cravings were significant for me. And it took weeks before that began to subside. And now I don't think about it. Like mm. I, I don't, I don't like, I don't crave. And that doesn't mean that every once in a while I smell something and I, and I think, that would be good to eat, but it's a it's a very passing thing. Yeah. Are there any special considerations that you make being an athlete? Um, you know, like are you do you do you supplement with you talked about, you know, supplementing with vitamin B twelve, but like protein supplements, things like that, or do you do you find it pretty I mean easy? I do I do, do a, a plant based protein supplement occasionally, but I wanna disabuse people of the idea that unless you're putting scoops of protein powder in your smoothie every day that you're not going to be able to build lean muscle mass or recover. Like that's not been my experience either. Mm -hmm. um, when I first began this, I was overdoing it. And then I thought, is this stuff doing anything? Like I need to wean myself off of it and not use any of it and see. And it made very little difference. So I think these things have their place. And when I'm training hard, I do want to make sure that I'm meeting my protein requirements. So I will put a scoop in. Um, and I've got a bunch of different, you know, brands. I'm not like wed to any particular brand. Um, and I seem to do fine with that. Have you ever experimented with like creatine? I don't know, like what, what your stance would yeah, be. Yeah, I have, I have on and off a little bit. Creatine is very effective. Super. Yeah. Yeah. I don't actually know. I guess it's like purely synthetic, like creatine monohydrate. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I, when I first thought about trying that, I was, I was like, is this vegan? Like, how do they extract this stuff? Does it yeah. come from an animal? Like, I just didn't even know, but yeah. I think it is synthetically created. Hmm. Super interesting. Do you still uh, routinely fast? 
like to you know because you had such such success at the beginning like for example it, it kind of got me thinking about the prolon like fasting mimicking mm-hmm. strategy you know like a super low calorie juice cleanse for five days here and there yeah i mean i i'm familiar with that and i've had volter on my podcast i've never done his protocol um and i haven't done any other kind of long fasting protocols either but i do do like intermittent fasting so there's plenty of days where um, you know, I'll eat at eight o'clock at night and then I won't eat again until, you know, six or seven the following day. Um, I, I don't do that every single day. Like, I think that you can get away with that for a certain period of time, depending upon how hard you're training. But at some point, it's going to start to impede your body's ability to repair itself and recover. So when you're trying to make gains and move forward and progress as an athlete, you got to be careful to not do that too often. I think it's good for to shock your body and to train in a kind of semi-starved state because it forces your body to respond to that but ultimately you're going to pay a toll if you're doing that too much yeah what's your training look like these days so i'm going through a little bit of a pivot in my training so i so i'm 53 right now i started training for these ultra endurance races when i was like 41 and i've been doing that you know to to varying degrees of intensity for you know the last 12 years, um, tons of trail running, tons of cycling and swimming. Um, and I started experiencing some lower back pain Mm. about a year and a half ago and some sciatic nerve issues. And also, um, just general, generally starting to feel like I was feeling a little bit more beat down than I would like. And I think that's because I wasn't paying adequate attention to functional strength. Like I was so like when you're when you're like as an endurance athlete, it takes up so much time. Like, you know, to go out and ride your bike for two hours is nothing like I need five or six hours. If I'm running, I need two and a half hours. Like it was it just eats up a huge amount. And when you're busy and you're doing other things, it crowds out your ability to attend to these other important things that that are increasingly important as you age. Hmm. Stuff like core strength and functional strength and just being just being overall solid like in an unbreakable you know kind of way robust exactly and i and i'd overlooked that and i felt like i was starting to pay the tax for that so a couple weeks ago i just put a pin in what i was doing and i I thought we're in covid there's no races like i don't need to go out and first of all i don't need to prove anything to anybody i'm starting to feel a little bit more fragile than i would like so i'm going to stop what i'm doing and i'm going to and i'm going to go back to basics and i'm going to begin at zero and rebuild my body in the gym. So I'm going to go from 95% endurance, 5% strength to 95% strength, 5% endurance for the next, I turn 54 in October. So my goal is by my birthday to be, you know, just like strong, you know, for the first time in, in a very long time. So completely, you know, changed my perspective on how I'm training because I feel like, to head into my mid and late fifties, if I don't have that, um, you know, I'm gonna I'm putting myself at peril. And I also I want to cure my back without having to do anything severe like surgery. Yeah, and I think the key to doing that is to str- is to be strong. Yeah, you know, all the pounding from the running over the many many years, I think it's taken its toll. I've um I've had chronic like low back issues for the past five six years. Um, and I got it from an acute, like I just was one day I squatted without warming up, without doing some of that like functional, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, those, those functional warmup moves. And, um, and yeah, strengthening, strengthening my core has been 
super helpful. Um, but recently during during quarantine, I got into boxing. Mm. I don't know. Have you ever? Have you ever? No, I've never. I've never boxed, dude. It's the best. Where do you thing go to do that? Ever. I I have like a private trainer. He doesn't cost an arm and a leg out in uh, West Hollywood, but you can mm. find. I mean, there's a lot of boxing like private boxing trainers that need work these days. You know, and uh, and it's been it's the most taxing on your core. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just been incredible. And since I started boxing, um, I've found that my low back pain has just like plummeted mm. for the first time. Wow. In five years. And I'm and I'm a guy who consistently resistance trains and does yeah. core and all yeah, the yeah, things yeah. in the gym. You know? Interesting. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it's fascinating, but so I love this. So you're getting into resist. Do you have like a gym, like a weight set up in your in your house? Or I have some do? pretty rudimentary stuff, and I've got stretch bands and things like that. But there is a gym near my house where they moved everything outdoors, wow. and you can book one hour windows. So I can only get into it for an hour a day, but that forces me to be really diligent when I go in and to get it done. And the thing that I've realized is, um, you know as somebody who wants to train like four or five hours a day to just go in for one hour and hit it, then I feel good throughout the day. My appetite is much lower than I'm used to. Like mm. I'm, I'm experiencing this like shift right now that I'm trying to get a grip on. It's been cool. And just doing new things. You know? What is like an ultra, like an ultra marathon look like? Cause I'm, you know, I feel like I've got a few friends that are, that are, probably as insane when it comes to like ultra endurance uh as you but i don't know what that looks like like yeah. what is that like walking well, through it, that? i mean it, it means different things to different people i mean an ultra marathon is by definition any running race longer than a marathon so it could be it could be 35 miles or it could be Jeez. 135 miles um the race that i specialize in is an ultra distance triathlon called ultraman and it's a three-day double Ironman race where over the three-day period, you circumnavigate the big island of Hawaii. Wow. So the first day, you start where the Ironman World Championships start in that bay in Kona. Um, but you do a 6.2-mile swim, 10-kilometer swim. And then you ride your bike 90 miles up to Volcano National Park. And then you go to sleep. You wake up the next day. It's like a stage race. The next day, you, it's a 171-mile bike race. And then the third day is a 52.4 mile run. So you've got the, you come and then you end up where you started in Hawaii. So I've done that race a couple times and done well in that race. Um, and then I did in 2000, what year was that? 2010, I did this thing um, that my buddy Jason Lester came up with called Epic Five, where we did five Ironmans on five Hawaiian islands. The idea was to do it in five days, it took us a little bit longer. Um, it was a logistical nightmare, but basically an Ironman every day on each of the five Hawaiian islands. We did it in like six and a half days. Damn. That's got to teach you a lot about life. Well, <laughs> yeah. Know? And yourself. And yourself. You know, I mean, endurance, ultra endurance has been one of my greatest teachers in the training and preparation for something like that. It's so rigorous and it's so lonely. Like you're with yourself for an extraordinarily long period of time in a state of discomfort that forces you to meet your maker, so to speak. Like I, and at the time that I was doing it, what I didn't, I wasn't consciously aware of this at the time, but I was really unhappy in my professional life. I was very confused about what I wanted to do, what I wanted to express, who I wanted to be. I'd never thought about these questions. Like I grew up, go to the school, get into the best college, like, you know, get, 
go to law school. Like I was on this track, right? And it never once did I stop and go and step outside of that and think, what do I want to do? You know, like what, what is it that gets me excited? It was just not part of that equation at all. And I was, you know, kind of around the time that I had that health scare, I was having this existential crisis about what to do. And I didn't know how to answer those questions for myself. But all of that time training really helped me wrestle with that identity problem that I was having and helped me kind of resolve it. And, you know, it teaches you a lot, like not just your ability to weather adversity and to be resilient and to show up when you don't want to show up, but also the incredible power and potential that all of our bodies hold to do things that we didn't think were possible. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd been a swimmer, but I couldn't imagine running a marathon, let alone like running 52 miles on the third day. It's not like I, I've been doing this all along. Like I signed up for this Ultraman. I'd never done an Ironman. Like there was just some, I was like, I got to do this race. I got to figure it out. And I remember training for it in the buildup in the hardest part of the, the kind of training period leading up to this race, we would do these simulation weekends where I would do 70% of the Ultraman race over a three-day period. And then two weeks later, I do 80% of it. And then I do 90% of it. And on this 90% block, the third day, I had to do a 40-mile run. And I just thought, there's no fucking way I can <laughs> run 40 miles. Like, I, you know, I hadn't done a marathon. And I did it that day. And I just remember how empowered that made me feel. Like, I just couldn't believe that I could do that. And it made me realize that we're all, like, I'm not unique in this. Like, we're, we, we all walk around with a very limited scope of our capabilities. And I think, you know, if there's anything to be gleaned, like, universally about the experiences that I've had is that that capability is within all of us. Like, we don't all have a desire to be an ultra-endurance athlete, but we all want to be more than who we are today. Mm -hmm. And to think more broadly about our capacity, I think, is something that I encourage everybody to do constantly. That's such great advice. I feel that so many people exercise to merely to punish themselves for what they ate, mm. right? As opposed to exercising to celebrate what your body can do. I mean, there's like that quote that I've that I see all the time on social media: "Don't exercise to punish yourself for what you ate. Exercise to celebrate what your body can do." Mm. It's such an empowering um, message. Yeah, that we are infinite. Ultimately, mm -hmm. I love that. And there's also a difference between exercising and training. Hmm. Like, I think I encourage everybody to exercise, to move your body, to engage with your physical selves. That's different from when you're like, okay, here's this thing that I want to accomplish. Like, how am I going to get there? And every day I show up for that. And there's a purpose and an intentionality that goes into what I'm doing and why that's moving you forward towards that goal. Hmm. So what's the difference then? But what would you say is the difference between exercise and training? So like exercise would be like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I got an hour and a half. Like, oh, it's a nice day. I'm going to go hit that trail. That'll be fun. Nothing wrong with that. I do that all the time, especially with COVID. There's no races anyway. So I'm just going out and trying to enjoy myself. Training, it's like break out the calendar, get expert input, get a coach. What's the goal? Mm. It's a, running this. It's doing this. Okay. So for the next two weeks, we're going to do this is the program. We're going to evaluate at the end of every two or three days to see how you're recovering. We're going to adjust. Here's how we're going to build up towards that. Like it's very it's a it's a focused application of exercise for a stated purpose. 
Interesting. Yeah, I like to I like to think of myself as as somebody who trains, but you're yeah, I don't really have any clearly uh, delineated goals. So I guess I'm I'm just more of an exerciser. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I, I guess it depends on how limited your definition of training, like you're training, but I, you know, I think of it in a different way, I suppose. But if you're just trying to be your best self, yeah. maybe you're training for that. Yeah. You're an athlete. I'm not, a, I mean, I, I, th- well, I, if you're, I couldn't t- trust me, <laughs> I'm not hiring the boxing coach. That would be, uh, you know, end up on funny or die or something. <laughs> Dude, it's fun. I've, I never in a million years would have thought that I would enjoy it because precisely because I've never been an athlete. And not only have I never been an athlete, I've always been very conservative when it comes to physical risk, like putting myself mm-hmm. in harm's way. And when you're boxing, you um, you always you're constantly running the risk of getting clocked in the head by your trainer, yeah. which is um, that's terrifying. Yeah, it's 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 not good, especially <laughs> somebody who cares about brain health. Like uh, it's a it's a funny proposition, right? You of all people, yeah, right. It's insane, but it, it's incredibly good for the core. I will say that. Mm. It's awesome. So, what's like? What's uh? What's coming up for you? What are you excited about? Are you um? You're. I don't know if I could share, but you have a book coming out. I do. Yeah, I have a book coming out in November. Um, November tenth. It's called Voicing Change, and it's it's basically a it's sort of inspiration and timeless wisdom excerpted from my podcast, which I've been doing for over eight years at this point. You're an OG. So I went through the catalog and identified 50 people that I wanted to highlight. And we had all of those um, conversations transcribed. We took the best parts out of them. So um, so it's it's transcriptions from the podcast, but it's also beautiful photography. It's like a coffee table book, like a beautiful art book um, where you can open up to any page and you know experience some wisdom from one of the many guests that I've had. So I'm excited about that. So I'm working on that. Um, you know, trying to parent teenage girls through through a pandemic, which <laughs> is requiring all of my wits uh, to try to figure out how to do that in a healthy way. That's that's been challenging, and continuing to do the podcast, we're um, moving into uh, a new studio space that we're working on now. So that's exciting, and just you know, basically doing what you do, trying to find interesting people to sit down with and continue to host the show you know i've had to pivot and do more uh remote stuff than i would like to mm. but you know there's still plenty of people around who are willing to sit down in person so enjoying that yeah i mean man eight years you've been doing the podcast did you start it when you were while you were still a lawyer still practicing law no um so so uh i wrote a book in 2011 that came out in 2012 it's called finding ultra it's my it's like a memoir and on the date that that book came out I said I'm not. I'm officially cutting ties with being a lawyer, so I let go of that. And then, um, so and having and 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 having gone back to that, which has wow. been good. So I wrote that book, and my wife and I wrote a couple cookbooks over the years. So we have four books between us total now. She started a plant-based cheese company called Shrimu, which is off and running right now and very exciting. So that's amazing. That's going on. I was meant to do a live tour multi-city tour this year. I did a live event in LA last year that went really well and um, was hoping to take the podcast on the road this year, but obviously that's not happening. Yeah. It didn't happen. So it's, we've all had to adjust. It's been a wacky year. Um, it's so interesting. Yeah. The podcast thing I think is like, it's such a, it's such an amazing medium, like to be able to reach out to people who you admire, who you feel that you can learn from and to create content with them. 
it's the greatest like grift in the world because you can call up these people that you respect and you're like, hey, man, will you come and talk to me? And, and for some, sometimes they say yes, and they come over, and you get to hold them hostage and ask them everything. You, it's, like, amazing. It's, yeah. like, the most incredible thing. Um, I just I love everything about it. I feel so privileged to, you know, be um, part, of this, uh, part of this space. And um, I just I can't imagine doing anything else. And it's enriched my life in so many ways. Like, the, these, you know, I don't know about you, but, like, you know, the people – when you sit across from somebody and you have like an honest, heartfelt conversation for a couple hours, like you are connected to that person. Like you will always have that. Right. And a lot of these people become my friends. They're like my mentors and people that I call for advice. And it's just, you know, it's become like just this, my life has expanded exponentially as a result of doing this. And I think anybody who hosts a show would, would, you know, say the same. I find myself recommending to friends on a regular basis that they launch their own podcasts. It's sort of like, uh, you know, when you have all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. I find that a lot of people would be very, you know, if you're, if you're a curious person, it really is like an amazing you know, an, an amazing outlet. And it also can give birth to so much potential. You know, there's so much possibility mm. when you're putting content out on a regular basis. It, it attracts people to you. You get to figure out your tribe. You get to figure out your voice. It makes you a better listener. It makes mm -hmm. you a better person, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think a lot of people now want to start podcasts, though, because they think it's an easy way to make money. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to tell people it's that not. that's not the case. Yeah. Um, you know, it's changed a lot, but it's also like way more competitive now than it used to be. I wouldn't want to be starting a podcast now. Yeah. I, I benefited from doing, you know, beginning mine when there was like nobody else doing it. What are the kinds of topics that you find yourself gravitating to these days on the podcast? It changes. You know, I think when I started, it, it's funny in writing this book, I went back and listened to my very first episode which I just did with my wife and we just turned on a microphone and did it as an experiment. It wasn't like I'm launching a podcast. It was like, well, let's do this and then see if we want to do it again. Wow. And I love doing it, but I, I went back and listened to it and I specifically said like, I don't want this to be like a triathlon training podcast. Like I, you know, I, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. Like I just want to follow my curiosity wherever that leads me. And I want to leave it open. Like whoever in, happens to inspire me, at the time. And I, and I've really remained true to that, I think. And it, you know, look, I, I have all different, I have doctors and nutritionists. I have Olympic athletes. I have entrepreneurs, all kinds of actors, like all kinds of different people. Um, I would say that, that, uh, it was very much a health and fitness focused podcast for many years. And maybe it's less, I still do that, but but it, it might be less focused on that now than it, than it has in the past. And part of that, and I'm interested in your take on this, is is due in some part, I think, to just the fatigue of the vitriol around, <laughs> like, you know, the nutritional wars that take place on places like Twitter. Like, I just, I'm fucking done with it, man. Yeah. I don't want any part of it. I don't want to participate in it. I want to live my life. I want to share inspiration. Happy to talk about my experience, but... That like kind of whole cult subculture is I, I just I don't want to I don't want to be part of that. Yeah, the, like the 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 warring the the eternally warring nutrition factions. Yeah, online it's exhausting. and the volumes really you know just continues to get more dialed up on that. Hmm. 
Yeah. How do you, I mean, how do you stay out of it? I just don't chime in. You just don't chime in. I mean, in. I get tagged in all kinds of crazy bullshit, but like, I just don't, you know, the, the key is just never dip your toe in it. Yeah. Here's the thing. I want to go on record in saying that I really have no interest in like nutrition debates or, you know, like, you know, my ideology is better than yours or anything like that. But I do like some, sometimes people that don't typically follow me will come over and they'll like, they'll leave a comment. Usually it's like a mean comment. You know, it's usually, it's not like a, it's not like a fact based, you know, it's usually like some kind of ad hominem attack and it triggers me and I want to get better at not being so triggered by Mm -hmm. those, by those comments. So sometimes I do end up dipping my toe into the, into the sort of, and how does that go? It, it never goes well. Yeah, right? Yeah. So you just learn from experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so true. There's a, there's a lot of it, especially on Twitter. I find on Twitter, like the, the nutrition sphere on Twitter is very... It's not, a, it's, not a, um, it, it's not a paradigm that's set up for a resolution of those issues. Right. Like, I think that, look, setting aside the nutrition wars... When you think even more macro, like we are experiencing a breakdown in our ability to communicate in general as a culture. And it's very dispiriting to me to watch that, to see people so polarized and so entrenched in their respective um, news and information cycles. And I see that getting ratcheted up and exacerbated. And I think that's only going to increase as we near this November election. And I think we're at a perilous moment, and the only thing that I can think of to help us see our way through this begins and ends with conscious, long-form conversation, like conversations that matter about important things with a priority on nuance is really the cure to what ails us. Hmm. And to your point that you encourage all your friends to start podcasts. Like, I agree with that because this is a format that lends itself to greater understanding, to the development of empathy, to um, listening, to being present, to trying to uh, understand rather than reply. Like all of these things that Twitter is very bad at, podcasting is good at. Um, And I really think that it is a salve that is much needed right now as we kind of perilously, you know, walk this uh, tightrope where we could very easily just, you know, fall to our peril. Mm. So well said. Is there anything that you think, and I'll, I'm, I will totally answer this for, you know, the sort of nutrition spheres that I'm kind of more associated with. Um, but is there anything that you think that the plant-based community can do better, can be better at in terms of how it engages with these sort of online nutrition debates? How's that for? <laughs> That's such a loaded question. Is it? Well, it's I funny. Feel like- well, look here. Here I will say this: whether you're, you know, of the carnivore uh, ilk, or the paleo ilk, or the plant-based ilk. Every one of these communities has good actors and bad actors. 100%. We see the bad actors because they're loud and upfront on Twitter. So they're sort of the tip of the spear who are, you know, going to battle with each other. And, you know, and it's it's a spectator sport for the rest of us. 
Um, the plant-based community is not immune from that. There are people who are just as entrenched in their information silo and just as resistant to any kind of outside influence, whether it be scientific or anecdotal or what have you. Um, so I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that, that the plant-based community is any better at this than any others. I think we're all, we all have, we all share equal culpability and some people are louder than others. Um, but I, you know, I just take heart. Like I, again, that's another reason why I don't participate in any of this. I, I just don't think it's, I mean, I would have, I thought it was productive. I don't think it is. I don't think it, I think it just foments anger and resentment and isn't it, it doesn't change anybody's mind like anything right so i don't know that 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 the advice that i would give the plant-based community would be any different than i would give any one of these other communities yeah no i mean i would i would agree with that um and i definitely feel that you know i don't actually personally associate with any of the sort of the groups um i would say that maybe you could paint me as having a sort of slight bias for like low carb, you know, eating or, or what have you. But like the keto community, I mean, the solution to every health problem isn't keto. Mm -hmm. You know, the carnivore community, I love plants too much, you mm -hmm. know. So I yeah, just. Yeah, and, and being plant based isn't going to isn't going to um, make you uh, live forever. You yeah. know what I mean? Like and I think it becomes more complicated because we're talking about we're talking about personal health talk about environmental health and then it brings in uh, a discussion about sustainability and compassion so all of these are cofactors that 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 complicate the discussion because and and, and perhaps specific to the plant-based or vegan community there are people that enter that um, who who adopt that lifestyle for different reasons like you don't become keto because you're compassionate about animals, right? Like it's it's so there's there's different on ramps for these things, and I think that that creates a situation in which worldviews uh, clash. Yeah, and sometimes like things are gonna clash, even like internally. Like I, like I actually, I mean, I love animals. Like, that's not a secret. I've written about my, my, my family, you know, the fact that I love animals, the fact that my mother who inspire, who basically inspires my work, the fact that she was a lifelong animal rights advocate. Mm. Um, and I internally, like there's a discomfort in, um, the fact that I believe both that animals are, you know, ha should have a voice and should be, a, you know, spoken for and, and, and they have the right to live and to not suffer. And also my views about nutrition, you know, and, and things like that. And so I, that's like a conflict that I that I live with. And I think like truth is, uh, you know, is often nuanced. And sometimes the truth is not easy, you know, for me, well, for me personally. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, real world problems uh, require difficult situations. And they, they mandate that we immerse ourselves in the gray a little bit yeah. in order to find the best solutions. And I think that what happens is a lot of these conversations and debates center around fringe cases when what we should be doing is figuring out where we can all agree to solve the biggest problems that we have. Like regardless of your fiefdom, your, your nutritional fiefdom, I don't think anybody thinks that factory farming is good. No, so why don't we no. just start there, right. you know, and align ourselves to, um, you know, transcend this 
terrible institutionalized way of creating food for people and find a better way. A thousand percent. Yeah, I would co-sign that in a, in a heartbeat. Man, well, this was uh, really fun. I feel like we got to a truce, actually. Do we? I feel like maybe we 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 changed things. Maybe this is going to be like the this is going to be the butterfly effect. You know, it's going to ripple out, and people are going to listen to this this podcast and our conversation and um, feel that you know feel what what I think is to be true is that we have a lot more in common than than what divides us. You know, and um, and we should embrace our commonalities. I hope so, man. I hope so. Yeah. So yeah, I enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Same. Thank you for uh, for being here for coming out. Where can listeners find you? Connect with you on social media. Um, you can find me at richroll.com. That's where everything's going on for the stuff that I'm doing. The Rich Roll podcast. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, I also film mine, and they're on YouTube. You can find them there. Uh, my memoir is called Finding Ultra. You can find that anywhere you buy books. Voicing Change is coming out November 10th, and that's it. Dope, man. Well, the last question. At Rich Roll on the socials. Easy to find. Keeping easy. Sorry. Is Roll your real last name? It is. That's amazing. That's a. (laughs) People think I like had a stage name or something like that. I don't know. I mean, you're the only (laughs) Roll. It's funny. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rich Roll, born Rich Roll. That's amazing. Great, great last name. Um, The last question that gets asked to everybody on this show, what does it mean to you to live a genius life? Oh, wow. I wish I'd known this ahead of time. I would have prepared (laughs) something. What does it mean to live a genius life? I think I think um, what it means. Let me think about this because I want to get this right. I guess I would say that to live a genius life would be to align, to be very clear about what your values are, and to align your actions with your values. And to dedicate yourself to a lifetime of personal growth, a fidelity to authenticity to who you are, and to greater self-actualization. We don't need you to be who other people want you to be. We need people to be who they really are. We need everybody's unique, authentic voice. And the more that you can... um, probe what that is for yourself and bring expression to that, I think, again, that is also the cure to what ails us as a society. Oh, my God. Beautiful. I hope your words ripple out, resonate, that people share this episode of the show. We covered some epic topics. And uh, yeah, man, I just want to celebrate you and and say thank you for for being who you are and for coming out. And um, yeah, that was beautiful. Thanks, Max. I appreciate it. Love the work you're doing as well. So thank you. Thank you, brother. To all you guys out there in podcast land, thank you for tuning in. Share this episode of the show and text me to let me know what you thought of our conversation. My number is 310-299-9401. And I will catch you on the next episode. Peace.